Welcome back, everyone. Thanks so much for choosing to listen to this episode today. I know our time as moms and women in general is so precious, so I am so very thankful you have decided to spend this next little bit of time here. And before I record each episode, I literally make a cup of coffee and fill one of my favorite mugs and just sit for a second. And I just pray that whoever listens to this episode listens to it when they need to hear it the most. And I pray that God would let you guys hear what you need to hear through me, despite of me like tripping over my words or maybe not telling a story like I felt like I should have when I look back at the episodes. So whether you are listening in real time in December of 2019 or you are coming back to this episode, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. And today we are going to tackle a big topic. We are going to discuss why children, especially Generation Z, which if you have a Gen Zer, <laughs> you will have kids between like three and 20 years old as of 2019. Okay. And we're going to talk about why they are leaving the physical church of Christianity in the masses. A lot of information that I am about to talk through came from the author Sean McDowell and J. Warner Wallace. And the majority is from their book called So the Next Generation Will Know. Once I heard about this book, I went a little crazy <laughs> listening to interviews they have done about the book. I watched their study on a platform called Right Now Media, and I learned everything that I could. If you are a mom and just want to understand how to pass on your faith to your kids, this is a must read. It is very practical. All of the little um, sides of the book have like, hey, ask your kid this question and here's an idea and whatever. Like all they've literally covered all the margins with so much value and useful tips for you. Okay, so let's just go ahead and dive straight in. When kids walk away from the faith, it is typically due to some form of intellectual skepticism. But the sad part is that it really doesn't accurately reflect the rich and evidential history of Christianity. And there are two main reasons that kids disengage from the church. Number one is relational brokenness. Studies show that the most significant statistical factor in faith being passed down to the next generation is a good relationship with their father. This does not mean that the mother is not important, but there are further studies that show if the father will attend church, his family will follow. And if only the mom attends church, more often than not, she might just go alone or maybe just with her kids, which can create distrust within the family, especially with the kids, if one parent is going and the other one does not. And single moms out there, I see you, and <laughs> don't be discouraged. This is not the only component, okay? The second component is that kids are not convinced this is really true, that Christianity is really true. And they aren't taught how to navigate this modern culture within the Christian framework. The level of distrust is very, very high with this generation because the sources that we have for all this information that's out there, they all look equally legitimate. 
which then makes it hard to discern, especially for a child, what has real authority and what does not. I mean, that's hard as an adult with the amount of fake news that is out there. So basically, it is relationship and truth. And as parents, Sean and Jay Warner will go on to say, as parents, we hopefully have a good relationship with our kids, but we aren't always the best source of truth. So then they go on and talk about um, how in the culture, if kids can't find truth from us, they will go out there and try to find their truth. But that side doesn't have that relationship that we have. So on the plus side, as parents, we have kind of the first half in the bag, or at least we should. (laughs) And now the second part is within our control. We can get better at the second part, learning how to answer their questions with solid biblical historical truth. And then those two things together is the single most effective way to pass down authentic faith from generation to generation. And Here is a small tip that Sean says. He says that we have a tendency to say what is true about whatever. We say what is true about the Bible, what is true about Jesus, what is true about God, etc. But for every one what that we answer, we really need to be answering two why questions. So you can tell them, what is true about the Bible, but then you need to tell them why it is true and give them some basis and some evidence because there are counterclaims out there. And so they need, and you need a solid foundation to stand on. Okay. So if it's fine, tell them what, (laughs) what is true about the Bible, but also tell them why it is true. Give them some evidence, give yourself some evidence. And then the second why is why should they care? (laughs) So for every one what, why is this true? Why should they care? How does it impact their life? And let's pause for a second because this just reminds me of a Christine Kane speech she did one time when Justin took me to a concert and she spoke for the intermission. She said, the very first question that was ever asked in the Bible is in Genesis 3, 1. And this was after God made the earth and everything in it. He made Adam and Eve and asked them not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it says this in Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from that tree in the garden? And then Eve corrects him and says, no, he said we shouldn't eat from this tree. And then you guys know the story. The devil makes it seem appetizing to eat from that tree. And ultimately, Eve eats the forbidden fruit. And that's kind of where we consider the fall to happen. But notice a couple of things. Number one, the devil repeats what God says, but he tweaks it slightly. And number two, he makes something else seem more appealing and tempts her and she falls for it. There are so many things that seem pleasant in the moment, but then have long-term consequences. 
But the bigger question here that Christine Kane emphasizes in this speech is the question Satan asked, which was this. Did God really say that? Did God really say? And for you and me in this culture with so much controversy, do we really know what God actually says in his word? Do you actually know what the Bible says on X topic? Because there are sources out there that claim that the Bible says X and just like the devil, it can kind of say that, but then it's altered to fill someone else's agenda. And ultimately, that source will turn people off from Christianity. And you guys, it's not even the truth. One of the biggest heartaches in my entire life is watching people I love or people I barely know leaving the church or walking away from God because they don't know what God really says and what Jesus really says and don't even know really who Jesus is. They are just turned off by the quote unquote Christians. But let's remember, people, you are not following the teachings of Christians. We need to be following the radical, justice-seeking, grace and truth filled servant leader who stood up for the poor and the widowed and the persecuted and did not stop until he took his last breath and then rose from the dead to take his place on the throne and gave us his Holy Spirit to continue his work. You guys, if your picture of a Christian is someone who just, I don't know, sits around like drinking tea, doesn't touch alcohol, has never said a cuss word and hates everyone and just sits around and judges people, uh, find yourselves some new Christians to look to, okay? Or better yet, just study Jesus. <laughs> don't leave eternity to the fact that some Christians are more about sin management than living out the legacy that Jesus started. And don't get me wrong. Following Jesus is not all grace, but it isn't all fire and brimstone either. And as you grow in relationship with him, you change. And that is called sanctification. But you can be a Christian and be passionate about social injustices that are happening in the world. You can fight for the poor and the marginalized. So I urge you, if you have walked away from the church, to just stop looking at Christians who you don't want to identify with and just take another look at Jesus. Casting Crowns has a song called Jesus, Friend of Sinners. And part of that song um, says this. No one knows what we are for, only what we are against when we judge the wounded. What if we put down our signs and crossed over the lines and loved like he did? I can't listen to that song without feeling the weight of what Christians have done to the name of Jesus at times. But if you have been jaded or skeptical of the church, that's cool. But I invite you to revisit who Jesus was and to remind you that he is who you are following, not the Christians of this world. And back to the book and the interviews of Sean McDowell and Jay Warner. 
parents assume that kids are on the same page with them because they go to church and they kind of follow their parents' cues like, hey, get ready, let's go do this, let's pray for dinner or whatever that might look like, okay? But it's turning out that that's not the case. We are assuming kids are on the same page with us as far as our relationship with Jesus because they are doing these things, but that's not the case. And you guys know this, going to church does not automatically equal a relationship with Jesus. I mean, yeah, your kids go to church, but what else are they going to do when the entire family is going every Sunday? The next conversation that Sean had, um, I think this was actually in an interview um, that I heard him say this, was this. Sean sat down with some high school kids and asked them what it meant to be a person who is free. And they said this doing whatever you want without restraint. Then he asked them, okay, if God exists, then what does that add to the idea of freedom? And they answered, well, doing whatever you want without restraint, but now there's consequences. (laughs) Their whole view of freedom is secular and all God adds is consequences. So that's terrifying. So he walked them through the thought process and just said, okay, well, but if God created us according to a perfect and beautiful design, wouldn't freedom be living out your life according to God's design for your life? <laughs> and he said, he goes on to say, like, that was a longer conversation. And, you know, some kids were like, oh, okay. And other kids were like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. But it doesn't matter. It's it, The point is, is that those are the kind of conversations that we need to have with our kids because more often than not, kids view God as someone who is like watching their every move and like going to come down and like, you know, give them some big form of consequence if they don't follow all the rules. And you guys, that's sin management. That's not what Jesus came for, okay? It is also well known that kids are or were, I guess, like leaving the church between that age of 18 and 25, So it seemed like they were, you know, growing up in the church and then going off to college, and that's where they were losing their faith. But actually, studies show that they would have all said that they lost their faith between like 10 and 17, but they just kept going through the motions. And the fact that they were out of the house and could start doing their own thing that and they stopped going to church, that is what kind of like illuminated the fact that it and it made it look like they were leaving the church then, which actually was not the case. And the problem was that we didn't or their parents didn't have a relationship built that made it possible to even reveal that skepticism that they had. So they were gone before they ever left. And back in the day, kids encountered skepticism in college. And so that's true that, you know, that's when they would start to maybe challenge or change their way of thinking. But now in this generation with Gen Z, skepticism starts around the age of 12 because of the amount of access they have to the Internet. So what can we do? (laughs) So, oh, that's all great. Terrifying, right? But here's, here's what we can do. Number one. You can pray for your kids first and foremost. I mean, that is so, so powerful. Okay. So you can pray for your kids. You can pray on behalf of your children. 
You can do that anytime, any point, any day, whatever. Number two, you want to do absolutely everything you can to build relationships with your kids. Step into their world. If they're into weird things, get into those weird things. You guys, um, Noah is into like Pokemon hardcore right now. And it's like, what? I thought those things died when I was in middle school. Apparently not. (laughs) Okay. But if they're into running, well, time to get in shape. Go on a run with your kid. Okay. If they're into video games, sit down and play with them. And the third thing that you can do is that we can do. Listen, I'm talking to myself here. Open your eyes to conversation starters. Um, Sean, again, talks about at some point, I don't know, his son wanting to go see Bohemian Rhapsody. And he kind of felt like it had a little bit of an agenda, which, listen, I I couldn't even tell you about the movie. I don't know. But he said, all right, I'll take you and a friend as long as we can just talk afterwards. So his kid was like, yeah, all right, that's fine. And afterwards, they just talked for like 30 minutes. And he didn't drill his kid, but he just asked questions like, so what was the view in this movie on like relationships? What was positive? What would the Christian worldview think about this movie, in your opinion? Did you ever feel like you were being preached at? And what did you enjoy about it? You know, and it was it was very casual. It was not like, all right, let's sit down, talk about this movie. What was bad? What was good? No, it was just, I mean, you could literally do this with any movie. But especially movies that you personally as a parent may think like, eh, I think there's some like alternate agenda here and I just want to talk them through it. And you don't want to overdo it, okay? It's a random question in the car. It's a talk while you're throwing a baseball back and forth. It's a conversation on the way to school, okay? So you're just kind of like putting them here and there, but you're being consistent with it. And another thing, you guys, is that passion overflows. Do you get more excited about, I don't know, like a sports game or your work? Do you get super pumped about a new movie coming out or a snow day? Do you get more excited about those things than you do about God and what he's doing in this world and in your life? Are you and your kid having like fun doing something and then all of a sudden if you want to like, I don't know, like pray with your kid or you want to talk about God, do you like stop that fun thing? And then like, okay, let's stop this, that we're having fun, and let's talk about God now. Okay, well, that's a killjoy, okay? And it seems like it's this weird like structure, like I need to, you know, I can't have fun in doing this. I can't enjoy this. And the main problem, and I promise you guys that Justin and I struggle with this as well, and I am in no means preaching and telling you guys how to do these things because we do these things naturally or something. I was like, eating up all of this information in these books and interviews that I was watching. And those stats are scary, but I want to encourage you in saying that young people have the opportunity to have the biggest faith because when doubt is met with an answer or validity, then it creates a stronger faith. So honestly, it's kind of perfect when you think about it. In a world where the culture we are living in continues to have this relative truth thing going on, where everyone kind of has their own North Star, then the more doubts that we can uncover with some solid biblical truth, the better. You know who some of the strongest Christians are in the world right now? Previous atheists like C.S. Lewis. Because when you don't believe and you go out and you try to prove Christianity wrong, and then actually end up proving yourself wrong, 
That's pretty powerful. But what that means is that we need to know our stuff. We better have an actual relationship with Jesus, you guys. It's not good enough anymore that we have our kid go to church on Sundays. We got to take some either literal or figurative classes in apologetics so that we can have a firm foundation behind our faith. And your faith as a mom, as a wife, can be completely authentic. You could have a wonderful relationship with God, and you can believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he rose from the grave and saved us. And good for you. Seriously. God is amazing in this way. He does not want fancy. He just wants our heart. But I'm going to say a thing here. (laughs) So I hope you hear this whole grit and grace message the most in this next thought. I said in one of my last episodes that one of my biggest fears in raising my own children are raising church kids. And what I mean by that is that I would raise my kids to go to church, like religiously, every single Sunday. But that's kind of the start and stop of their relationship and exposure to who God is because they aren't continuing to have that exposure at home. But let's not even think about the like church kids right now. Here's my question for you and for me. Are you a church parent? Do you attend church on Sunday and check it off your list for the week? Do you get super moved during worship and the sermon and then leave and honestly start thinking about lunch? And then totally engulfed in the demands of your week, forget about God until the following Sunday? Because I've been there. Those are usually the Sundays where I get moved to tears each time because I'm like, dang it, (laughs) I am just going a million miles an hour all week and I didn't make time just to be still and to sit with my heavenly father. Or I kept saying later and then later never happened. And the truth of that hits me when I sit back down in church on Sunday. And this is why I love, (laughs) I love the physical church. It brings me back and it reminds me who I am and who God is. And then it gives me a week to try again. Or maybe you go to church, you soak up every single word, you pray during the week like it's second nature. You have your daily quiet time or just find a way to connect with God throughout the week. But that all happens before the kids wake up or while they're at school. Because let's be real, it is not easy to have quiet time when you have 15 million kids running around or even just one. But let me tell you a story about a realization I had a little while ago. I was driving home from church with my kids on a Sunday, and I asked them, as usual, hey guys, what'd you learn about God today? And they started shouting out answers like, he loves me, and he's my forever friend. And honestly, they just kept talking, but all of their little voices started to fade. And I just thought to myself, why is it that I am only asking that question on Sundays during our commute home from church? And I started realizing that I was feeding myself daily with quiet time and prayer and worship music during the week, but I wasn't really feeding my children. And sure, maybe I'd point out a beautiful sunrise God made on the way to school, but that's, I mean, that's not really enough. And yes, God painted the sky beautiful. And yes, my kids are young. So pointing out simple beauties in creation is a wonderful thing. But that can't be the only time that I point out God's beauty. Anyways, if you are feeding yourself but not your children, 
Are you finishing up with your quiet time before kids get up or during nap or maybe after they are asleep? If you do a consistent quiet time, maybe let it linger so they can witness it. And obviously this is not to like show off what you are doing, but just to show them that you are making time for it, that it is a priority to their mama. I would um, get up and I would do my quiet time in the same place each morning and I was going through some study, I don't know, and my kids would begin to wake up and come up and sit on my lap for a second. They never asked about my Bible or what I was doing. They were just sleepy and they wanted to cuddle for a second and then just get down and play. Well, one morning I had gotten up, but I did not do my quiet time. And my Wesley Reed woke up and he climbed up into my lap. I was still sitting in the same spot. And he just looked at me with these like confused, tired eyes and said, Mom, where's that book you're reading? I was so confused at first because it's not like every morning when he got up, I would say, okay, so I need you to look at this. This is my Bible. I read it every morning and you should too and yada, yada, yada. No, I literally just was doing my thing. He got up. I would pull them up in my lap, give them a hug and send them on their way to play. But when that book my Bible and my Bible study I was doing were missing one morning. You guys, he noticed. And he was only three and a half when this happened. And it just made me realize that they see what we do. That was the perfect time for me to tell him what mommy did each morning and why that particular morning I had some work deadlines to finish. So I chose to do it at a different time. That following morning, I had my Bible and my study out, and when he hopped up in my lap like he did every morning, he saw my Bible and my study again, and he just smiled and just snuggled into my chest. So you don't need to, like, make it awkward and and be like, hey, kids, my Bible is open, and I am reading it, and Jesus is amazing, okay? Remember, just more is caught than taught. When they get older, they will know what you are doing. They may never acknowledge it, but they see it. They know. I mean, seriously, my three-year-old can cut on to my consistency with it. And I think for some people, it's natural to have their own faith, but it's less natural for them to teach or raise their kids in faith and just aren't really sure what to do or how to do it. So we leave it to Sunday school teachers to do it for us. Or you might be someone who has an authentic faith and teaching your kids is as natural as breathing. And you, my friend, are probably more rare than you think. And if this is you, I would love for you to engage in our pinned post about faith this week and give us any practical things that you do with your kiddos or whatever to make this so natural. And I would say that I feel like I fall pretty firmly in that second category at the time of having kids, but I am like imperfectly moving towards the third where it is becoming more natural. I've definitely stepped on my game (laughs) from just pointing out the sunrise each morning, though we still do that and they still point it out. Okay, so to close this episode, we are going to talk briefly on the validity of the Bible, just real quick, and just for a couple of reasons. First off, if we don't believe the Bible is true, well, that's a problem within itself. If we don't believe that um, the questions, the hard questions our kids bring us about the Bible could stand, then we really probably need to like question our own faith because I have yet to 
ask a question that hasn't been able to be answered. And when there's starting to be questions that cannot be answered in some way, shape, or form, that would be an issue, right? So if someone came up to you and said, how do you know the Bible is even true? It was written like a thousand years ago. You guys, we can't just say, I don't know. Do I just believe it? <laughs> First Peter 3.15 says this. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for their hope that you have. And typically, you guys, uh, I don't know. I just believe. Or I don't know because it's true. Those aren't great answers. So it would be impossible for me to be exhaustive in this area of talking about the validity of the Bible. This could be like seven episodes. So I'm just going to put a ton of links in the show notes for you guys, and you can go devour those if you want to. But for the sake of time and to not completely overwhelm you, I'm going to just list some facts that prove the validity of the Bible. First, the manuscripts that were passed on from generation to generation So typically, the more manuscripts or the written word that was translated, the more validity something had the potential to have. So if something was copied down, I don't know, four million times, then if it was all different, obviously it loses the validity. But if it's very similar or the exact same, the validity increases. In one article I read from the Reliable Truth podcast, and it said this, one of his closest friends from college was a political science professor for years and taught political philosophy. In one of his introductory courses, he required his students to read Plato's Republic. And he will tell you that there is no scholar alive who questions the validity of that work. And yet, when you consider Plato, all we have is seven manuscripts. And take Aristotle, for example. We only have 49 of his manuscripts. The New Testament, you guys, alone has over 24,000 manuscripts, 24,000. And when we translate what is written in the Bibles that we hold in our hands today, the oldest manuscripts we have, they appear to be almost the same. And that is why Metzger, which is just a Greek New Testament scholar, believes that the resulting text we have today is 99.5% accurate to the originals. And that that 0.5% in question does not affect any single biblical doctrine. Okay, so the text hasn't changed. Valid through that point. I got it. But what if it's still a made-up story? Well, we could also add the fact that much of the New Testament was written within just a few decades of the death and the resurrection of Christ. 1 Corinthians, for instance, dates from like the 50s, only 20 years or so after the death and the resurrection of Christ. This is important because 1 Corinthians 15 contains key elements of the gospel message. It emphasizes the importance of Christ's resurrection and claims that more than 500 people had seen the risen Christ. And people who would have still been alive at that time of the writing of 1 Corinthians would have been around to corroborate or criticize the claims that were made in that letter. Okay, so what about the Old Testament then? Is that true? Well, Jesus affirms the validity of the Old Testament in many verses, but one is this, 
in Matthew 5, 17 through 18. This kind of sums up the approach Jesus took in confirming the reliability of the Old Testament. It says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of pen, will be by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Then there are all the prophecies that happened in the Old Testament that Jesus ultimately fulfilled in the New Testament. And this could be an entire episode. Um, And this is super interesting to me. And we are almost finished. But here's a couple. In Isaiah 7.14, it says that he will be born of a virgin. Well, that gets fulfilled. In Zechariah 9.9, it says, See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Then in Matthew 21, verse 2, Jesus says to his two disciples, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and they will send them right away. (laughs) Micah 5.2 says the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And in Matthew 2, 1 through 6, it talks about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. In Zechariah 11, 12 to 13, it says the Messiah would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. And then in Matthew 26, 14, what does Judas do? Betrays him for 30 pieces of silver. And ultimately, Zechariah 12, 10 says that the Messiah will be pierced. And in Matthew 24, 30, this all but fulfills all of the prophecies except him raising from the dead. And you guys, what gets me here, and I literally called up my mom and Justin after this, after doing this research, I'm like, so the Messiah is coming and, you know, all these people are hating on him, acting like he's not God, acting like he's not the son of God. But then ultimately, they just fulfill the, all of the prophecies. Like, <laughs> Why did you not offer Judas like 25 pieces of silver? Why did you offer him 30? And that fulfilled the prophecy. You mean you had him you had a second, you had a chance to jack the whole thing up. And then it says that he gets killed by being pierced. Um I'm sorry, why didn't you just stone him? But no, you crucified him and you you drove a nail into his hands and feet and then ultimately fulfilled the prophecy. Anyways, so that those are things that run through my head when I'm like looking at this kind of stuff. So that is not an exhaustive list to give you like the full validity of the Bible and why it is valid, but those are just some starting points, some conversation starters, maybe something that you can start to go research. Um, but those are just kind of like bottom level. Here's kind of why um, it is okay and it is valid to believe what the Bible says. Anyways, let's go ahead and recap really quickly. So the main reason kids are leaving the physical church and the masses is because they just don't believe that it is real. The way to combat this, because the Bible actually has a ton of historical validity, like we were talking about, is by two things. Number one, a strong relationship with you. So lean in to their world and do everything in your power to build an honest relationship and encourage their doubtful questions. You guys, we have doubts. They can too. And that way you guys can find an answer that stands on some solid ground together. Be a safe place where they can ask those big questions. 
God can handle our doubts, so you need to be able to also. And the second thing is the truth. Let's be their source of truth. We cannot put it off. We cannot dance around it. We cannot just give like a, you know, Sunday school answer to things. And this is going to take some work and some study on our part, but it is only going to strengthen your faith as well. So let's just go ahead and lean into this together. And let's also remember to ask the question that Christine Kane pointed out. Did God really say that? If you hear things or see a meme floating around the internet, let's make sure we check it out against scripture. Because it might sound like a verse or it might sound like something you heard that was in the Bible, but it might not exactly be what God says. And finally, let's remember to feed our children throughout the week, not just ourselves. And remember to start simple and get fancy later. If you are just starting out, pointing out the beautiful sunset and the sunrise that God made can be perfect. Or memorizing an easy scripture with your kiddos. Listening to worship music together is a favorite of mine, just as we go about our day. Those lyrics have scripture just woven all throughout them. My three-year-old knows every single word to Reckless Love and Oceans and a bunch of other songs. You can also just pray for your kids, just a simple, even one-liner to start, or even just start like a little journal for each of your kids if you like to write. And don't forget... Whatever thing that you are doing great with or whatever you are struggling with, you are already enough. Okay, so let's talk about a couple things that you can do to stay connected with Legacy Through Motherhood. First, if you like the content, rating this podcast and leaving a review helps so, so much. And also follow me on Instagram at legacy underscore through underscore motherhood. And if you haven't yet, hop on into the Facebook group, Facebook group called The Legacy Through Motherhood Community with Stephanie Sims. And then to join the Legacy Through Motherhood email list, head on over to www.simsarrows.com and you can join there. And all of that and a lot of the stuff we talked about today will be in the show notes as well. Join me on the next episode as we discuss health and wellness. We are going to dive into self-care, but before you roll your eyes, because this topic is so over-talked about right now, and I hope you don't think that it is going to be an episode where I tell you to spend more time on yourself and go get your nails done or take a long bubble bath with some wine. It is not that kind of conversation, okay? It is going to actually challenge what self-care actually is. And how even though I do love getting my nails done, is that really self-care? I don't know. We will see. (laughs) Either way, I am so excited to walk with you guys and have these conversations with you and help you find your grit while completely covering you in grace. Grace.